0: Good morning, everyone. Morning, everyone. Um, My name is Susan Butler, and I'm a member here at Harvest Point. And um, a few weeks ago at Alpha on Wednesday night, I shared a story about prayer. And I also shared part of my testimony. And during that testimony, I said, I promise God that I would share this and I would tell everyone this as often as I had the opportunity. Well, I say that to tell you this, be careful what you say in front of Pastor Jonathan because you might end up standing up here sharing what you told God you would tell every opportunity that you had. So there we go. So you got me by default. Um, today we're going to talk about prayer as a foundation of our faith. And these songs that were sung this morning, You're a Good, Good Father, the last one that Becca just sang, they so much testify to what my message is about today. So, if you've heard part of this, I apologize. But just sit back and ride with me as we uh, talk about prayer this morning. You may think that prayer is fading in our world, but in in case you didn't realize, it's actually on the increase. 48% of Americans who were polled say that they pray on a regular basis. And this will be a surprising fact, I think, for you. 52% of millennials say that they talk to God on a regular basis. And 62% say that prayer is a major part of their life. Americans say that they pray for their own needs, they pray for their own sin, they pray for their friends and family, and they pray for those who've experienced natural disaster. When asked about what you pray specifically for, these are some of the things that they said, and you may can testify to this, and if this hits a spot with you, you can raise your hand. Some say they've prayed for a parking spot. Some said they prayed not to get caught speeding. 21% said they prayed to win the lottery. Hasn't worked for me yet. And most of you who watched college football yesterday probably prayed for your favorite team to win. Can I get a witness? You know, when we were kids, most of us were probably taught the same prayers. Like when you sat down to have a meal, we said this prayer all the time. Maybe you can help me finish it. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. By his hands we are fed. Thank you, Lord, for our daily bread. And then when it was time to go to bed at night, we said the other one. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Guard me, Jesus, through the night and wake me with the morning light. And in case you're curious about how old I am, I've told you two or three times that I'm just a little shy of 21, or a little past it, rather. When I was in school, in elementary, junior high, and high school, every morning we stood up beside our desk, we said the pledge to the flag, they played the national anthem, and we said the Lord's Prayer. And then we sat down on our desk, and we started our school day. How many of you can remember that? Did any of you experience that? You know, prayer is something that we're all familiar with, whether we learned it as a child, whether we just learned the Lord's Prayer, or whatever we were going through. Prayer's always probably been part of our life in one fashion or another. But you know, sometimes we find it, or I find it, hard to do it on a regular basis. You know, it's easy to pray when things are falling apart because then you reach out and reach up. Hey, God, I need some help here. But you know, when things are just moving along pretty smoothly, then we tend to get out of the habit of regularly praying. And I don't think that's what God wants us to do. But we're going to talk about how prayer works and how it has worked in my life. But I want you to know prayer is not just for preachers. It's not for the spiritually elite. Prayer is for everybody. Prayer is simple conversation. And it's a foundational part of being a Christian. You know, prayer... Prayer is vital um, in your Christian walk. Prayer is nothing more than just a simple, sincere conversation. And it helps us grow deeper in our relationship with God. It's something that is commanded to us in Scripture. Uh, Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 2.1, The first thing I want you to do is pray. Pray every way you know how for everyone you know. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Every way you know how for everyone you know. And then Paul said in Colossians 4, 2, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. You know, Jesus told many parables about prayer. And he told us that we should pray regularly and never give up on prayer. He said, when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask. So you can just keep it simple and God understands. And I want you to notice that Jesus said, He didn't say, if you pray, but instead He said, when you pray. And He said it doesn't have to be fancy, it doesn't have to be complicated, uh, it doesn't have to be the these and those and thou, new you know, King James Version prayer, because God understands how we talk, and I honestly believe God probably speaks Southern. <laughs> As we grow in our relationship with God, we notice the benefits of prayer more and more. Um, it gives us the opportunity to be in the presence of God when we're praying. and You know, the presence of God is like it's like on a hot day having that great ice-cold water or that glass of sweet tea. It quenches our thirst. Prayer is like just taking in a huge breath of fresh air. Prayer is like giving our soul the opportunity to just breathe. Another benefit of prayer is that it gives us the peace of God. And, you know, if you've been a Christian for very long or you've had very much experience in your life, It doesn't take you long to realize that the peace of God passes all understanding. When that peace is with you, you can't explain it to anybody or anything unless they've experienced it themselves. You know, do you find yourself... Excuse me, I got a frog in my throat. throat) Do you find yourself worrying or being anxious about stuff all the time? My friend got a text message from her mom. It said, start worrying, details to follow. You know, worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you very far. So when you get to that place where you feel like you need to worry, you need to stop worrying and you just need to pray. Paul tells us in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, that's asking for things. With thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, that amazing peace that transcends all understanding, will keep your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. You know, the peace of God is not about being in a place where everything is good, where there's no problems, no trouble, no um, anything grating on you like sandpaper. But the peace of God is still having the presence of God living in you in the midst of trouble. One other thing God, uh, through prayer, we get is perspective. You know, sometimes you got to step back from where you are and look at what's going on around you and realize, you know what, hey, I just thought I had it bad till I saw these other people. And now I realize what I'm facing is a drop in the bucket compared to what they're going through. You know, even with the benefits of prayer, one thing I've discovered in my own life is that Um, when things get bad, that's usually when I pray the hardest. And I usually pray the least when things are going well. And I don't really think that's what God wants, but unfortunately that's who I am and what I do, and I'm not proud of it. But I'm really working on trying to do better with that. So a few years ago, I found myself in a situation where... um, Prayer was the thing that I needed more than anything. On Sunday morning, September 19th, 2010, Mark and I were lying in the bed. We were having a conversation, and we stopped talking for a second, and he made this noise that sounded like he was snoring. And I thought, gosh, he went back to sleep in a hurry. And then I waited another second or two, and he made that sound again, but it was kind of unusual sound. And I raised up and looked at him and realized he wasn't breathing. My daughter Allison was there with us and so I yelled to her and told her what was going on and I called 911. and shortly the paramedics got there and um, Allison's still doing CPR on him this whole time and the paramedics get there and they defibrillate him three times and they finally get his heart back beating. He left there, intubated on a stretcher and went to a local hospital and we followed by in the, behind in the car. And when we got to the ER, and they finally let us go back there after they had evaluated him, the doctor said, "Um, Man, do you guys realize how lucky he is to still be alive? And I said to him, Mr. Mr. Doctor, this had nothing to do with luck, I assure you, because God has a plan. That afternoon, they placed Mark in the hypothermic unit, and the hypothermic unit is when they lowered his body temperature down to between 89 and 93 degrees. And the reason they do this is that after you've suffered sudden cardiac death, your organs need time to heal. And if you've read stories or heard stories about people who've fallen into frozen lakes and they get them out of those lakes and they revive them, after the process of them rehealing, there's usually no long-term um, damage to any of their heart their lungs their liver or any of that because of the fact that they were almost frozen and that's the equivalent of what they were doing to mark here he had 13 different ivs going into a port in his neck and during that time oh he was being being given a paralytic too so he didn't realize he was so cold and that see that white thing on the top of his head every now and then they would shock him with that thing right there, and if he flinched, then they knew they needed to give him more paralytic. But you see that port, he's getting 13 IVs in his neck. He's got his intubation tube, and both of his arms are restrained. And that was about a 30-hour process. If you touched his body, he was as cold almost as if he were dead, and it was heart-wrenching. During that time, I didn't pray. I begged, I pleaded, I said to God, God, I cannot lose this man. He is my best friend. I cannot imagine my life without him. What would our family do? I will never be able to do all the things that he does to take care of us. And I don't, I don't know how, how I would be able to handle all this. And I, I'm, I'm begging you, God, please, please don't let him die. And I said to him right then, God, if you let him live, I promise, I will tell of your goodness every opportunity that I have. Well, he was in that unit for about 30 hours, and when they began to warm him up, um, uh, I went in there, and he was awake. They had taken him off the coma medicine, and he was awake and somewhat alert, and I talked with him and he responded to me by blinking his eyes. He couldn't speak because of the intubation too. And then I realized then that God was answering my prayers, that all of my pleading, all of my begging, my thanksgiving, my hope was, I felt like we had turned a corner. This was on Tuesday. On Saturday morning, things went south again. And um, the doctor suggested that I take Mark off the intubation uh, thing and uh, all of the medication that he was on, basically the life support system. And he told me that if he lived, he would be a bedridden or wheelchair-bound, probably drooling, uncommunicative adult that would be cared for for the rest of his life. And I had a conversation with our daughters and said, what do y'all think we ought to do? So we decided that we'd call all of the family and ask them, tell them to come to the hospital and say their goodbyes. Well, that night before I left the hospital, I asked for some tests. I asked for an EEG, which measures, <coughs> excuse me, which measures brain activity. And I asked for a CT scan to find out if there was any brain damage. And I also asked that someone would have read the test so that when I got there the following morning, I'd know the results. I prayed most of that night. I don't mean I begged. I mean I prayed. I prayed with hope. I prayed with thanksgiving. I prayed with praises to God, but I poured my heart out to God at the same time. The next morning, I got up and got dressed, but honestly, I dreaded going to the hospital because I didn't want to hear what they had to say. When I got there, Dr. uh, Mitchell, the neurologist, was at the nurse's station, and I went into Mark's room to visit with him, and uh, the nurse said, Dr. Mitchell's here. He read those tests you asked for. (sighs) I took a deep breath and went out to see Dr. Mitchell, and he told me that Um, He thought it was too soon to make that decision to take Mark off life support, that um, he did have brain waves, And I asked him, did he have a lot? And he said, well, that didn't really matter, because I just wanted to make sure he was talking about Mark. (laughs) And uh, I asked him if there was any brain damage, and he said no. And he said, I think it's too soon. He said, I think he just needs some time to heal, and he'll turn the corner, and then he'll be okay. And so I thought, yay, God. And so they, uh, he needed dialysis. His kidneys weren't functioning. There was a lot of things that were going on. And so they started dialysis. And two days later, that port you saw in his neck during dialysis, his heart rate went to over 200 beats a minute. And he blew that port out of his neck. They got his bleeding stopped and got his IVs all set back up. And that same doctor came to see me again. And he said, "Miss Butler? I told you last Saturday that I thought you ought to take him off life support. And now he's had this big episode in the dialysis room. And so, you know, you need to make a decision about this. And I said, I already made my decision. And I told you Sunday what my decision was. I'm not taking him off life support. God's given me hope. And that doctor gave me hope too. And during these days when he was on life support, part of the time that I couldn't couldn't talk to him and I couldn't touch him, because it would cause him to thrash and he'd pull at the tubes and all the IVs and stuff. And so I wrote three by five cards and I covered the window. He had two big windows above his bed. And I covered the windows with three by five cards of all kinds of victory and hope scriptures. Psalm one hundred seven twenty. He sent out his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the mountains where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The quest, this is a question. Jesus is answering somebody, they've they asked him a question. Jesus, if you can, and Jesus says back to them, if you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Ephesians 3:20. Now to him who is able to do abundantly more, than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. That became my go-to scripture. Abundantly more than we can ask or imagine. Abundantly more than we can ask or imagine. Mark's condition kept the same most of the time. Day in and day out, there wasn't much much change going on. But the fact that we were remaining stable was hopeful. Hopeful. You know, God kept giving me glimpses of him all throughout this process. And I actually kept a journal during this time. And I went back and read my journal prior to preparing for talking today. And I had forgotten some of the things that God had done. This is one of them. The fact that my daughter was there and she had been trained in CPR since she was 14 years old. She was there to start CPR the minute that he stopped breathing. And that he didn't end up with serious brain damage. That was a God sighting, my friend. Remember that hypothermic unit I just told you about? Well, the person who sells that to the hospital, whenever somebody gets put in that unit, they call that guy who knows all about that unit, who can explain it to the family and let them know everything that goes on with it. They called him and said, we've got a family here that's in the hypothermic unit and we want you to come speak with them. The guy comes walking up, his name's Steve Jennings. Mark and I have known him since we were in junior high school. Do you think that was a coincidence? Not at all. He was a man of faith and a man of prayer. Let me tell you another one that just popped in my head. I thought I was sending a text message to one of our friends named Steve Cornelson. and I texted him with all the details about what was going on with Mark, and the text came back, this is not Steve, but I'm a registered nurse, and I'll be praying for you. You remember the story of Elijah how the ravens fed and watered him during that time that he was in the wilderness. He was there all alone, and had it not been for those birds that some of us consider a nuisance, um, he wouldn't have survived. Well, for a long time in my life, those crows or ravens or whatever you called, have always given me hope. Whenever I see those, especially if I hear them call, it's like it's a reassurance to me that God's telling me everything's going to be okay. So one morning, as I'm preparing to go to the hospital and I'm sitting at the table and I looked out the window, there was about five or six, or they always are in odd numbers, so five or seven uh, crows out on the driveway. and they were just like walking around constantly. Well, because we were in Athens, we had been uh, we were staying in our RV up there because that's what we do when we go to college football games. Anyhow, one morning, I'll, I could hear them just constantly, Just walking on the roof of the RV and you could just hear their toes just, you know, making that sound. And I'm thinking, thank you, God, that you're just reassuring me over and over and over that everything's going to be okay. And through social media, through Facebook and through text and all those kind of things, there were people all over the world who were praying for Mark, who were keeping up with his progress and and, uh, just praying for us and lifting us up in prayer. And after Mark had been in the hospital about 16 days, early in the morning, about 3.30, his nurse, Amy, called me. And you know how it is when your phone rings in the middle of the night. Usually it's never good news. I answered the phone, she identified herself, and my heart sank. And she said, I just went in to check on your husband, and he's laying there with his eyes open, and I gave him some commands, and um, he responded to every one of the commands that I gave him. And she said, "Miss Butler, I think we've turned the corner. I think we're on the road to healing. That date was October the 4th, which is Mark's birthday, October the 4th. Do you think that was a coincidence? No, I don't think so. So here he is shortly after that. By the time I got to the hospital, they had already taken the intubation tube out. And there he was talking. You can go to the next one now there he is sitting up in a chair for the first time go next there we are together one more time and finally he got to go outside he wasn't supposed to but we went outside and rolled around the block on a sunny October day anyhow it was then and there I prayed again to God for the second time And I said, God, thank you for this miracle. I promise you that all the days of my life, I will share your goodness and your mercy to us, your grace and your love, every opportunity that I have. You know, during the storms of my life, it was very natural and very easy to pray. But as things start getting better, sometimes it's hard to keep going with that same prayer fervor. But over time, I've matured and I've experienced that. Um, God doesn't want us to pray only when things are bad. He wants us to pray when things are good. You know, you have a success or something that happens in your life. You don't just sit there and hold it to yourself. You call your friends. Hey, guess what what happened to me today? Guess what good happened to me today? Guess what good happened to me today? And God wants us to do the same things. He wants us to share the good things in our life, the struggles in our life, and the storms in our life all the same. So I don't know where you are in your life right now, but I know that God wants to communicate with you. You know, there's nothing like that peace or that presence of God that comes from prayer. You know, when we were kids, our parents probably taught you the same as my parents taught me, that there's three things that you need to always do. You need to say thank you, you need to say please, and you need to say I'm sorry. And I think God wants those same things in our prayers. God wants us to thank him for the things that he's done for us. Thank him for the creation around us. Thank him for our friends and the other humans that we have in our life. Thank him for companionship instead of loneliness. Thank him for help. Thank him for everything that he does, the fact that we wake up and breathe and that we don't even have to consciously be aware of breathing, but we just do it because he's the creator. He wants us to say, I'm sorry. He wants you to say you're sorry for things that you did that you didn't realize until after the fact that maybe you shouldn't have done it. He wants you to say, I'm sorry for those things that you've done that were intentional He wants you to say you're sorry for things you've done that hurt other people. And I think God wants us to say, please, I know that you know that we can go to God with everything that's going on in our life. And probably like when I was a kid growing up, I didn't get everything I wanted, but I got everything I needed. And that's how it is with God. Please, God, give me the strength to face today, not to worry about today, but to be thankful in the midst of it. There's three other things that I want you to think about as you pray. Number one, keep it real. God knows who you are, He knows the number of hairs on your head, He knows when you're going to wake up and when you're going to lie down. He knows everything about you, so there's no reason for you to try to be somebody that you're not. Because if anybody knows you, God does. Number two, keep it simple. You know, you don't have to pray all those lofty words. You don't have to say all those grand and glorious things. You just have to pour out your heart to God in this conversation that you would have with your friend. And most of all, keep it going. Whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether it's in between... Don't stop praying. Don't stop communicating with God. You know, prayer is simply talking with God. And like Jonathan says, he doesn't want us just to talk about doing it. He wants us to actually do it. So Oscar and the band are going to come and play our final song. And I want you to invite you to come to the altar Victor, can you put that last picture up, please? This picture was made exactly two months after his sudden cardiac death. God is good.